0: Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. All right. Welcome, everyone, uh, to the Being Planful podcast. My name is Rowan Tonkin, and I'm your host, and I'm really excited to be joined by Jeremy Foster of Tollroo today. Jeremy is the CFO at Tollroo. He, uh, he spent about 10 years as CFO at various companies uh, prior to that and has also been a CMO and a CEO for a community bank. Uh, so, Jeremy, thank you for joining the podcast and uh, really looking forward to this conversation.
1: Thanks, Rowan. C- COO at the community bank, but otherwise, yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been a, a fun ride and I've you know really enjoyed the last 20 years and look forward to sharing a little bit with your audience today.
0: Yeah. So 20, 20 years as a CFO and COO, I'm not going to give you the credit of COMO anymore, um, but you probably wouldn't have lasted that long. I think our average tenure is like getting down to 12 months now. <laughs> Sorry,
1: I've had, I've had top marketing ops and just have to see, no E. I mean,
0: yeah. Have, fair just,
1: enough. I'm, fair I'm enough. I'm an X. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a CXO is probably the best way to talk about my background. Good. Yeah, that's
0: fun. Um, well, that's good. I think that's going to drive a lot of this conversation then. So you know, uh, folks, we're we're talking with someone who's been in the business and uh, helped the business now as a CFO. And so I think we're going to have a very business-oriented conversation. So, Jeremy, let, let's talk a little bit about kind of your experiences and the places you've been. I know uh, in pre-show, we were talking a little bit like you come in where the kind of the, the company is going through some fundamental shifts in strategy or shifts in growth. I to talk a little bit about that and, and how you think about as you come in, what do you put in place to actually continue or drive that shift, drive that change?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to some degree, it depends on what the organization needs, right? So the, the first thing I try to do when I come into a business is um, you know, look, at, look at where there may have been um, some gaps in visibility, uh, a lot of times I've been blessed to come to organizations that are largely well-led. Um, they've got good CEOs, they've got good executive teams, but they may not have had the best visibility to what's happening in, in the business. And so in that type of a situation, most of the time, it's about, it's about cleaning off the windshield so people can see where they're, where they're going. And, and that may be as simple as standing up uh, kind of the core gap financials so that they can have good understanding of what may not have been classified the right way. It may be as complicated as developing a suite of kind of unique metrics and KPIs that are relevant only to that business, but they're hyper relevant to that business. Mm -hmm. Um, So an example of that would be um, at Kasasa, we had a business model where we partner with community banks, and credit unions, and we would largely get paid as a function of our success. So most of our revenue was based on the number of checking accounts that we helped those clients acquire. And that number would grow dramatically over the life of a client. And so a big part of trying to understand the value of each new client that we sold, it wasn't just, here's, you know, Here's a $2,000 monthly license fee on a contract that's going to get paid for the next three years. Mm-hmm. It was, here's a bank or a credit union of this size, and this is what their onboarding activity looks like. And so, therefore, you know we can project and predict with a pretty high degree of accuracy over the next five years what that's going to grow to, how many checking accounts they're going to bring in, and what our price per account is going to be, and then, therefore, mm-hmm. what the lifetime value for that's going to be. So, standing up core gap
0: financials, obviously, that's a, a much dirtier windshield, re- <laughs> really, right? Like, yep. At that, at that point, the windshield's really dirty, and you're coming in and and really doing that that kind of getting the hose, sorting everything out, and uh, and getting to this next level. That's kind of building the heads up display, right? Like, that's right. That's a, yeah. yeah. That's a great way to think about it. So. Uh, what do you find uh the most fun part of doing that where do you where do you kind of find the most enjoyment I I really
1: love understanding the dynamics and the drivers of Mm -hmm. the different product lines for each company right getting getting visibility to um getting visibility to the value that gets created by a product and usually, I, I a lot of times I work with B to B to C businesses. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're deploying consumer-oriented products or they're reaching consumers, but they're doing it on behalf of or through um, uh, kind of established businesses. And so, um, in that model, you know, it's really fun to understand. Here's the value that gets created for the end consumer. Here's how that translates to value for our clients for the businesses mm-hmm. that that. We're reaching those consumers through and then here's how that translates to value for us and, you know, making sure that there's a a, both from a pricing perspective and a performance perspective, making sure that there's enough value created through that full chain that everybody wins um, that to me is really the fun part of, of, of business
0: and in that value chain that you just talked through is part of the complexity and probably why you need to get brought in to to do that cleaning up right it is and i'm not saying you only come in to clean up things i'm sure you know you've been at places for long tenured you know the cleanup's the first year or first nine months yep. and it's all adding value right um but in that in that value chain is that part of the reason why companies get to that kind of place where growth may stagnate because they don't have that visibility because the, the that supply chain is much more complicated
1: i think that's a part of it i think the i think it's a, a good insight the more complicated the supply chain gets um, and the more parties that mm-hmm. that, and especially particularly with a complicated supply chain you can manage that with an individual client a lot of the times but when you go to 500 or 800 or a thousand businesses that all have their own different dynamics you know you have to have systems that can that can be consistent and still fair for everyone involved through that process. And that can be a a tricky thing. Um, So I think that's a a really key insight. The other thing I would say is I think when businesses are small, one of the most important things, particularly for startup founders, is they find the next most immediate like risk or opportunity for the business. They tackle it and they make that thing work, right? So most of Mm -hmm. the time, if you're talking about a startup, the the, you know it's how do we get the product live or it's you know how do I get my first customer or you know how do I how do I make sure that um, we're actually monetizing this first client the right way it's it's like a problem that you can see coming the bigger an organization gets the more of those start to come in at different paces and at different times and I think one of the one of the key benefits a scaling CFO can provide in that environment is if you can start to stage gate and say, okay, this problem is going to hit in June or July, right? We're, we're, we're selling fast enough that in June, we're going to need more people to onboard our clients. And then in September, we're going to need more account managers to support those clients. And then in, you know, Next March, we're going to start running out of the number of people that we can actually reach. Like those those things um, and and being able to start at least highlighting at a high level for the team, this is when those limits on the business are going to start to hit. You can start to time the effort of the organization so that you don't hit this ceiling and then clear that ceiling and wait a year to figure out what the next ceiling is and then hit your head and have Mm -hmm. to and I think that's a key I think that's a key function that a scaling CFO can provide for um, for businesses that are, you know, I've typically worked with organizations in the 50 million to 200 million dollar revenue range. Um, you know, I've worked with startups that have gotten to that kind of range. Um, but but a lot of times folks hit that at kind of the call it the 20 to fifty million dollar mark, I would say, companies get big enough that they may not have built the systems to identify all those constraints as they come in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I- internally, we we talk here at, at Planful about you know there being kind of three types of metrics within a business, right? There's the operational metrics, which uh, for you is like in, in that description, like account manager sales capacity, right? Or support capacity. Then there's the commercial metrics, which are number of checking accounts, number of this, number of that, And then there's the financial metrics, which are like the actual lifetime value, right? Right. And um, what happens, uh, what I've observed happen in in more kind of um, immature businesses as they grow is, you know, they might have a really good handle on the operational metrics, but they never connect them through to the commercial or to the financial metrics. And, And that's where CFOs like yourself can come in and say, well, this is how the big picture works. Now we need to go and build the models that support this and go and connect that all the way through from wherever that operational driver is all the way through to the financial outcomes. And obviously the more predictably we can all do that. Everyone's happy, but uh, yeah, I, I like hearing from, from you that that's kind of the stage gating that a CFO comes in for. What do you then look for from the business for you to go and do your job in that kind of first year successfully?
1: Yeah. You've got to have candor and honesty from your team. Like the, you know, um, there's a world of difference when you have an executive team that's all pulling in the same direction. You know, the CEOs recruited people who are focused on the big picture. Everybody wants the whole company to succeed. There's a world of difference between that and kind of an organization built on, you know, these little individual empires where, Everybody cares more about their career than they do about the success of the organization. And it's really hard to do the job as the CFO if you can't get the truth out of everybody, right? Yeah. If if everybody will give you an accurate assessment of what's going on in the business, then you can go out and you can build the metrics to help people understand each other pretty well. If people are intentionally dishonest, that's really hard. The other thing that could be a challenge, but hasn't really been as prevalent, I guess, in, in as a a challenge in my career, thankfully, is you might have people who are in positions that they've only been in, they haven't been in long enough to really understand what's going on in their department Mm -hmm. at a gut level. But if you're in a situation where everybody's like candid, honest, open with each other, they have a gut, good, good, at least gut feel of what's going on in their organization, then you can go in and you can start to build the connective tissue, the nervous system to mm-hmm. help tie those departments together so people can kind of see what's happening.
0: And, and so for you, I know you talk about the nervous system, you know, finance being the nervous system of the business. Um, I think, uh, you know, most businesses are having a central nervous system kind of little shock at the moment. <laughs> um, what are the kind of fundamentals of that system
1: that you, you look to employ? Yeah, so I, I would I'll 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 continue that analogy and maybe overdo it a bit. So if, if <laughs> okay. I if I if I beat the analogy into the dirt, feel free to tell me to let it drop. But you know, the first thing is is making sure that you've got kind of the the oxygen coming in and getting to, you know, getting to the body, right? You gotta have visibility to your cash flow. This is particularly mm-hmm. true of of startups. A lot of times if you want to think about kind of the core gap financials, some businesses are cash flow driven, some businesses are income statement driven, some businesses are balance sheet driven. For the most part, um, you know, tech companies live in the financial, you know, the profit profit and loss statement is the main thing because you can you can go raise more capital, right, as long as things look good, um, and. Startups at the very, very early stages may have to live more in the cash flow side of that to get there, right? They may really have to look at it and be, be very thoughtful about where they're spending. And so the first is, can you pay, can you make payroll, <laughs> you know, can you, can you deliver your services for your clients? The second thing then I'd say is about how are you allocating that, like the, the blood flow, the, you know, getting the oxygen out to the different parts of the body, how, how are you allocating and prioritizing the allocation of those resources for ongoing and continuous growth or profitability or both, depending on the organization that you're working in? Um, and then um, more mature businesses sometimes, particularly banks, which I do have a pretty significant amount of experience with, those tend to be more balance sheet driven. banks, you know mm-hmm. manufacturing companies, things with you know companies with big assets and lots of leverage yeah oil they may they may be more balance sheet driven businesses but for the most part i kind of think of it as you know are we getting enough resources to be able to get either to our next round of funding or to continue to scale as aggressively as we want to scale without needing any funding at all Mm -hmm. um and and a lot of times the ideal is to be able to transform from the first to the second you can end up being a lot less you know i think blitz scaling Uh, You know, the, the, hey, we'll, we'll spend more money to generate revenue than we're going to get from the revenue, right? That, that approach has worked pretty well for the last 10 years for a number of tech companies. And there are, you know, examples of where it really makes sense. It can make a lot of sense in a situation where you have a, a limited amount of time to grab market share and you may not have a great technological moat. And so, you know, like Netflix, you want to go out and get as many users as you can. That can that can make some sense. I think the global climate that we're moving into, um, there's going to be a lot more focus on figuring out how you can fuel sustainable growth without perpetual capital raises.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, you can see Wall Street is uh, currently hammering anyone that... Uh, doesn't have good uh, good profitability, right? Um, you know, the, the tech sectors that are doing well are those that are in that mindset where they can just reinvest in their own growth and uh, aren't relying on heavy amounts of capital. That's right. The Actually, for, for those listeners, a, a really good book around that blitzscaling methodology is uh, Frank Slootman. Uh, he's currently the C- CEO of Snowflake and was CEO of uh, ServiceNow. His book, Amped Up, uh, is a really light read, uh, but highly recommend it for everyone if you want to kind of hear from the CEO of someone who drives blitz scaling.
1: <laughs> have you happened
0: to read, read that one, Jeremy? Or not? I, ha-
1: I haven't read that one. I have read Reed Hoffman's uh, yeah, book. Right. Yeah. it's. Um, you know there's there's situations, and you know one of the one of the companies I was at is kind of a classic example of blitz scaling. they They went out and grabbed as much market share through multiple high value rounds as they could. and and it was it made a lot of sense. Um, you know, to your point, I think I think there's a there comes some transition period where um, you know where either environmentally or simply to avoid ongoing dilution, Hopefully, at some point, you you get to the point where you don't need it all the time.
0: Yeah. What what was your experience as a CFO of a blitz scaling business like that? How did you think differently?
1: Um, a lot of it was just you know how do how do you pay attention to the metrics that are going to get you the best valuation on your next round? Mm-hmm. So um, you know if you're focused on if you're focused on getting that initial capital to be able to kind of stair step to another round, then the question really becomes what are investors going to look for? What are what are incoming new investors going to look for mm-hmm. to, to cut another bigger check at a higher valuation?
0: And then, so
1: that then in turn says, all
0: right, you're looking for that. How <laughs> do you go of- and facilitate that in the business? To make sure that we're getting those metrics, and and so how do you approach that as the CFO, like more internally?
1: Yeah, so maybe let's let's say your let's say your key metrics are, um, let's say your key metrics are, number of businesses business partners that you've acquired, mm-hmm. um, the attach rate to their consumers. And then the amount that you're able to charge for each product sold to those consumers, right? If those are your three key metrics, um, then it really is about, first of all, building out pretty clean tracking and and you know realistic achievable projections around what that could look like for each step. And then getting the various departments or parties who are responsible for each of those Deliverables to agree on what's achievable, right? So, mm-hmm. you might have a sales team that's responsible for acquiring. In, in the case of you know Talroo, we have a we have a sales team that is responsible for acquiring um, new employer relationships, right? New retail employer relationships. Um, we also have a technology. And engineering team that's responsible for making sure that we can deliver high quality job seeker candidates through our technology platform. And then we have essentially configuration and account management teams responsible for making sure that those two tie together, right? And that each individual employer's interests and what they're willing to what they're willing to pay per application, um, the quality of candidates they're looking for, the key metrics that'll help them make the right hiring decisions making sure that our system is really configured to deliver that for them. And, you know, all, all three of those parties have to have to be involved in that process. And it can be as simple as here's the incoming budget that we got from a client, what they're willing to spend, here's the cost per application that they want to target mm-hmm. for being able to reach those, you know, to, to attract those candidates. And then is is the technology delivering at that level? And then it can be okay what is our budget utilization how much of that are we actually fulfilling um what is our retention um some of those can get pretty pretty complicated when you start looking at retention that isn't contractual right if you're yeah if it's very it's very easy to establish lifetime value for a software platform with five-year contracts at a thousand dollar monthly license fee (laughs) it can be much more complicated with performance based um pricing models yeah
0: <laughs> i'm just thinking how glad i am i'm not in that environment <laughs> uh, that that would be tricky and so how do you manage the predictability of that
1: then so some sometimes sometimes you like you, you do the best you can and it's not yeah. perfect right yeah. like i would say you know I I I would say, and I, I think the team at Talru would agree, we've come a long way in the last couple of years, but it's still tough to predict sometimes when the yeah. hiring environment changes and you've got inflation rolling through, and you know sometimes it's it's difficult to predict. Other times, you know, at Kasasa, we were able to build a predictable model that, again, kind of with that that per checking account model, you know we built out frameworks that were accurate enough that I'd give my director of FPNA a hard time. If we missed revenue by more than 1% on that, right. Yeah. I, with a, you know, you predict 14 months in advance what these clients are going to look like. And we built individual client revenue pro formas, and then every individual client became their own line item in our revenue model. And so some of that is about, you look at the law of large numbers, And you take statistical learnings from things like, okay, I've got a base of 700 credit unions and and community banks, and I can see how, based on the number of branches that they have and based on what their historical checking account acquisition has been, I can predict when they come in what they're going to look like. Then you turn that into a five-year individual pro forma for that client and then take that pro forma and gel it down to a single line item. Like, you know, mm-hmm. months and columns, one row for that client. If you lose a client, you delete a row, right? If you see a significant change in, in you know, account acquisition, you change that row or you change the pro forma, pro forma and then update yeah. that row. And you've got a highly accurate, highly predictable model because you took the data from this large data set of a couple million checking accounts, you use that to predict seven or eight hundred Individual client performance, like profiles, mm-hmm. and then you built to a single line item from the roundup aggregates of that, if that makes sense. And so yeah yeah, it, you know, it's much the the lazy, easy way to do it is to is to, you know, say, hey, this is I'm just gonna guess this is a single line item. We grew by ten percent last year. We're going to grow by ten percent next year. And by far, I would say the most common cause of missed revenue forecasts when I first come to an organization is somebody taking a percentage revenue growth number from the last two or three years and extrapolating that out as a fixed percentage. And that is not only short, you know, kind of shorthand that you shouldn't use, it is systematically wrong. Because if you want to think about what causes most businesses to run into into limitations, attrition functions as a percentage of your size, right? If you if you have a if you have a one percent monthly attrition rate, and you have you know you have a hundred thousand clients or a hundred yeah a hundred thousand customers, whatever you want to use, then every month you're going to lose a thousand of those customers, if you have a million of them, every month, you're going to lose 10,000 of them. And so you have to think of the fact that really attrition tends to be percentage driven outside of some kind of intervention. Sales is not percentage driven. And that, and people, a lot of times operate in the opposite framework, right? They look at it and they just say, Hey, we've, we've been growing sales at 20%. So it's going to keep going at 20%. Well, not if you don't invest in your sales team, not if you don't, (laughs) right? And so that I think is a key thing.
0: Yeah. And this comes back down to what are the operational drivers, right? The commercial drivers of uh, those core financial metrics. You know, this isn't to say, and I'm going to take words out of your mouth. This isn't to say that having that macro math of the business is helpful in shortcut mode where you're right. Like, oh, normally it behaves like this in a macro environment. But you have to get the micro math of the business that is that driver-based roll-up to then yep. get to the, to the macro math of the business.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's a great way to think about it. It's a, it's a round trip, right? You look, at the, you look at the macro to try to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. You use that to hone in on areas that are really the most important metrics and drivers. Then you go look at those metrics and drivers. And from there, you start to build up kind of ground up forecasting.
0: Yeah, and and I guess you've been at businesses that you've gone through those transformational changes, right? And so how have you seen those kind of micro drivers change and and the business the, therefore the macro change at the same time.
1: Yeah, so great question. Um so I would say with Talroo we've we've experienced a lot of very fast growth um, over the last two years, and a lot of it came from um, really two two primary channels. One was our dev team did a great job continuing to build out that ability mm-hmm. to acquire new job seekers. Um, the other was that we built um, a, a retail sales team that was able to go out and acquire new retail customers. Mm-hmm. The, there were tailwinds that went along with that as well, right? We encountered some headwinds during Q2 and Q3 of 2020 when COVID hit the US really hard and everybody froze and nobody was hiring. Well, if you're in recruitment marketing, there's a macro trend that's pretty meaningful when nobody's hiring, right? Yeah. And then you do get some tailwinds when people start hiring to make up for that. And you know now the Fed seems pretty determined to push us into a contractionary cycle again. And so the, you know, you kind of have to weigh those and look at it and you might do something like look at market share, right? Or do to the extent that you can uh, say, all right, this is what seems to be the result of the macro trend. This is what seems to be the results of these individual initiatives that we've driven. Mm -hmm. Easing that out, you want to make it as much science as you can, but to some degree it's art too, right? You're, you're, you know, You make estimates based on the change in the amount of uh, unfilled job vacancies in the US and you you just, some of it's a little bit of sausage making, um, (laughs) but you, you know, you do the best that you can.
0: And I can only imagine how imperfect that data is now with the gig economy and this subscriber economy and all of (laughs) that stuff going going on and, you know, everyone moving to more flexible work, mobility at an all time high,
1: like, (laughs) yeah, good luck. You got it. It, it. can it can be uh, it can be difficult to build highly predictive models in that environment for sure.
0: Well it, 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 a I don't think you can because the, the the environment changes too fast, right? You know like you could have a new regulation and it could just be a simple you know an, an inflation rate hike. and next thing you know, everyone's changing their decision making and and you're a victim of it at, at some point.
1: And and I think that's a really key insight. A lot of what you have to bias towards, uh, you know, I I would say probably particularly in in tech, you know, relative to maybe banking, but I would say that you you know you have to find that balance between uh, precision, insight, and speed, Mm -hmm. right? And what you're really going for is how can you deliver key information to the business that's relevant by the time they get it. And useful for decision making, um, and you know, it how how you do that. Uh, I mean, it's tough to it's tough to be prescriptive about that because I think it varies business to business.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the the key value that you would be looking for is you know the agility with control. I mean, every CFO is looking for that, right? The control would be lovely, predictability, great great controls on on what's going in and out of the business and everything being a perfectly predictable machine. That's, you know, that's every investor's dream. Yep. Um, but the reality is we've got the other side of the coin, which is everything's changing around us faster than ever and we need the agility. And so that trade-off I can only imagine is, you know, very, very difficult from a CFO perspective.
1: Yeah. I think it, and I, you know, I, I suspect that, you know, based on the handful of businesses I've been at in the last 20 years, I would suspect that most CFOs bias too heavily towards traditional controls, don't invest aggressively enough in insight into the key drivers, um, and don't share that insight enough with the company. Like I, I think those are those are probably um you know, those are probably a couple of the trends I would guess I've seen.
0: Yeah, and I would um you know, we we talk a lot about you know finance trying to help elevate the financial IQ of the rest of the business, right? And um, there are a lot of people out there that um, don't understand what you do um, because a they never studied accounting, they didn't get an economics degree, they you know they may never have got their MBA, and but they're you know they're leading core functions of a business because they're very skilled at what they do in their part of the business. But they also don't understand that you're looking for some of those drivers right like you know our marketing function we've got lots of drivers that we we've got all access to all sorts of crazy intent data and buying data from all sorts of places but distilling that into something that i can give to finance i need help with i need my you know my fpna lead or my you know cfo in the boat with me saying hey you've got access to information i don't know what it is i don't know how you get it (laughs) but it's
1: killer and i'd love to have it right like yeah
0: exactly and so you know we often hear about that um the challenge of of you know gna functions like yourself is is you are often under resourced in your ability to go and service our function so how do you think about that
1: man that is i would say that is a, a constant challenge the um you know if if so there's a couple of things. One is you can you can provide tremendous value very early, um, just just through helping everybody understand some very like fundamental basics. Like here's what here's what we mean when we say revenue. Here's what we mean when we say gross profit. Here's mm-hmm. you know here's here's what here's what our operating expense means, and just some very basic education through the organization can help those teams start to understand enough that they can, they can surface to you. So you're not constantly having to go and dig. They can surface to you when something may not be right, you know, so you may um, or when there may be an opportunity that may be being missed. So to use your example of, uh, you know, the marketing team, if they if they understand that, hey, we, if you've had the conversation that says, hey, we're a little bit worried about our ability to maintain our price point over the next three years because we don't understand enough about consumer demand today mm-hmm. through our clients. And they can say, well, if they know that and they understand, okay, this is what contribution margin is, this is how we're priced today, if they've got a handle on those metrics, they can look at it and go, you know, Jeremy, I'm not too worried about that because – I'm seeing our conversion rates tick up, right? And maybe we can look at that and start to see whether there's a bigger opportunity in this product line than we realized. Mm -hmm. And so if they surface that um, as opposed to you having to go out and ask all those questions, that can be tremendously uh, important from the perspective of insight and efficiency of staffing. Um, I'd say the other thing, you you can end up, you know i've 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 over democratized at times too where yeah. like i you know try to build a utility function and let sales grab these team members and then it can it can turn into a situation where sales is trying to ask a single question and it turns into a, a recurring permanently developed report that only gets looked at once and we took all the time to develop that into a permanent report mm-hmm. right and you can you can make that mistake too and so I think it's um, you know it, 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 you're always learning as you run through this, and as I think you just have to you just have to say okay i I made I made that mistake. Let's go the other direction <laughs> a little bit and yeah and figure it out.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know uh, we know we're coming up to the end of our time here. Um, for sure, listeners up up until this point would would you know would take away here. There's only so much perfection we can go and create, and that's a great example of it. Because you know we're at the uh, we're at the uh, kind of mercy of lots of external factors, right? Well beyond our control every day, and so you know it's our jobs as as business leaders, as finance leaders, to really think about okay, well, how do we just prepare for that oncoming onslaught of change? And and I don't know if you can ever be ready for it, but be ready that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, are there any any kind of final parting words uh, for our audience that you'd love to kind of share with the group?
1: I, I think the the best thing we can do as as CFOs for most organizations is, you know, think about communication. If if the finance if the finance function is the nervous system, then it's important to make sure signals are getting where they need to go. And um, as long as as long as the organizations talking to talking to each other, um, most problems are manageable. I love that. So uh, where can uh, listeners connect with you, uh, Jeremy? Uh, you can reach me at jfoster at talruh.com. And um, yeah, happy to happy to field any any thoughts or just meet folks.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing kind of your experiences and, uh, and your wisdom. I'm sure our listeners appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Jeremy. So Take care. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.